Well, if you're visiting with us, we're in a series here at Big Valley called Standing Strong, where we're going through the book of 1 Peter together. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, most of the verses will be inside your program, or they'll come up on the Jumbotron so you can see the Word of God for, your, for yourself. Uh, today we're going to talk about overcoming sin, or how you as a follower of Jesus Christ can say no to, to sin. And this is going to be an important message. One of the things that you find when you read through the Bible is that right out of the gate, in Genesis chapter 3, you're confronted with sin. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, they're just beautiful, beautiful chapters. They tell us about God who created everything, you know, he creates all the birds in the sky, he creates all the fish in the sea, and creates all the plants and vegetation and and fruit trees and all of that, and then you get to verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, and then he does something really amazing. It says that he creates human beings, but he creates human beings different than fish and birds and, and snails and all that. The Bible says that we are made in the very image of God. Whether you're a man or a woman, you are made in the very image of God. God wanted to have a special relationship with us, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are really beautiful, beautiful chapters in the Word of God. You see this God who creates us and longs to do life with us and all of that. And then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and sin enters the world. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, when Adam sinned, he was the very first person that God had ever made, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone because everyone sins. One of the things that we all have in common in here uh, is that we are all sinful people. And sin had a cataclysmic impact on on everything, on nature, but more importantly on on you. It brought death, physical death. You're going to die someday. The reason why people die is because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. We die because of, of sin. Sin brought death. To your physical body, but worse than that, sin brought death to your relationship with God. And that's way, way more weighty than the fact that it brought physical death to your life. Someday, you know, you are going to die because of sin, but as soon as Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, boy, it, it brought death to our relationship with God. The great Puritan John Owen said, Sin in the life of a believer is a burden that affects him rather than a pleasure which delights him. And that's the truth. Sin really is a burden that affects us. Now, um, are there moments when sin can bring some sort of pleasure? <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why the narrow road or that wide road that leads to death is filled up with people. It's because there can be a sense of pleasure to sin. But let me tell you something. It's, um, it ends in a horrible place, sin. Now there came a moment when most of us in this room recognized the truth. We recognized the fact that sin had brought death to our relationship with God and that the only way we could make it right was through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Remember what the angels told the shepherds 2,000 years ago? 
some famous verses that we read at Christmas time. The angel said to these shepherds, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will be of great joy to all the people. Well, what's the good news? What's the thing that we ought to hoop and holler about? What's the thing that's going to bring great joy to all the people? Today, your Savior has been born in the town of David. And that is good news. That's something to hoop and holler about. You see, Genesis chapter 3 tells us about death and how it messed up, you know, our relationship with God. But you get to Luke chapter 2, and there's this incredible moment where the Savior is born. There came a moment when all of us recognized, or most of us recognized, our need for the Savior. We recognized that Jesus was sent by God to cleanse us of our sin and to give us new life and eternal life. Some of you are thinking, you know what, I don't know the Lord, and I don't know Jesus. I was invited by a friend, and I got a pretty good life. Ah, you probably do. But what if there was a better life? What if there was something better than the life that you have right now? And you're missing it. You're missing it. The uh, apostle Paul said this. He says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, right? Genesis chapter 3. Everyone who belongs to Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've received the Savior into your life, Christ, if you belong to Christ, will be given new life. Now, most of us here, like I said, we've given our life over to Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ, which means our relationship with God has been restored. He's given us a new life, an eternal life, But just because you've invited Jesus Christ into your life and had your sins forgiven and had your relationship with Jesus, you know, Christ restored, with God restored, doesn't mean that you'll never struggle with sin again. Every day we as believers are engaged in a battle with Satan and and the demons. And You really believe that there's Satan and the demons? I absolutely believe that there is a, a demonic force out there. The Bible teaches it. I think some of the only ways you can explain some of the horrific things that human beings will do to one another is there just has to be a demonic force out there. just has to be. There's no other way to explain, say, a Jeffrey Dahmer. There's no way to explain, um, I don't know, an Adolf Hitler. There's only one way you explain that, and that is, you know, demon Satan, something like that. But every day we, we, we are involved in this battle with Satan, the demons, and our flesh. Every day while we're on planet Earth, we battle sin. It's a never-ending struggle. There's, there's never any relief here on planet Earth. Never, never any relief from, from sin. We've all had dreams when we're out cold that, man, they were just sinful, weren't they? I mean, even in your dream state, unbelievable how we can just think of sinful things. And the great example of this truth is our brother Paul. You can read about how sin affected his life in in Romans chapter 7. No one will question whether Paul was a follower of Christ. No one will question whether he loved Jesus. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament, right? And in Romans chapter 7, you see how sin was impacting his life. It impacts all of our lives. 
We as believers are are called to hate sin, flee from sin, purge our lives from sin, confess our sin, confront people that are in sin. Psalms 34 says, turn away from evil and do good, right? Turn away from sin. Psalms 97 says, you know, you who love the Lord hate evil, hate sin, right? Romans 13 says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Don't don't, don't even think about, you know, sinful things. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. You won't sin for the spirit, it's willing. The spirit that you have within you, the new Holy Spirit that came in your life, it's willing. But man, you're... Your, your flesh is really weak. In Titus chapter two, it says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, right? And we are instructed to turn from godless living, turn from sinful pleasures. I love how, I think it's the NIV puts it, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It appeared to me. I've given my life to to Christ, and it teaches the grace of God, the the spirit within us, to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions. In other words, it, it teaches us to say no to sin. But this side of heaven saying no to sin can be difficult at times, can it? I mean, there's not a person in here who's gonna stand up and say, you know what, man, it's easy for me. I don't have any problem, you know, with, with temptation. Because if you stood up and said that, you know what, you just gave in to temptation and you just lied. We all struggle with it. You're looking at somebody, though I've been a pastor here at Big Valley Grace almost 30 years, I struggle with it. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you walk with God. You struggle with it. Even those of you that are here and you're not even sure Jesus is real, you know, you're just checking out this thing called Christianity. I mean, you're not hostile to it. You're here, right? You know you're a sinner. You may not call it that. You wouldn't use that biblical term. But you know, you've had crummy thoughts. You've done crummy things. You know. You just don't know you know, you know what the Bible may say about it all. But we all, we all understand this thing called sin. We understand that the spirit, those of us that are Christians, that uh, the, the spirit that's within us is ready and willing and able to say no to sin. But the flesh that the spirit is housed in is weak. <laughs> and there isn't anything in your flesh that has the capability of saying no to sin. Now, the good news is that the Bible gives us a lot of really great thoughts on how you and I can better overcome sin in our lives. In fact, in our text that we're going to look at here tonight, uh, Peter gives us, I think, a few. And there were lots of different angles I could have went at this. At the last moment, for whatever reason, I just sensed God pushing me down another path. You know, the Word of God is just really rich. You, you can read the Word of God one day and go, wow, and something just really pops out at you. And you can go back and read that same Scripture the next day and go, something else just hits you. Something else. There's a, something else that the Spirit impresses upon you. 
And I thought I knew where I wanted to go with this, but God had a whole other thought. And I hope that somehow it's a blessing to you. Number one, if you, if you want to say no to sin, you need to remember what sin did to Jesus. It cost him his life. Look at verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, one, one version says, since Christ suffered in his body. Now, I was kind of paralyzed there for a while, and this is the little phrase that got me to do a whole nother thing that I was going to do. I had something else planned. But as I just bore down on this idea that Jesus suffered in his body, it just, the Holy Spirit led me a whole nother way. Beloved, Jesus Christ suffered to the point of death, a brutal death a heinous death, a humiliating death. Death on a cross, why? Because of your sin. Because of my sin. Sin is an ugly thing, an ugly, ugly thing. It's so ugly that it costs Jesus Christ his perfect life. The reason why you have uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 right there is because of sin. He suffered horribly because of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, when we were utterly helpless, we were dead men and women walking, our sin had so messed up our lives, Christ came at just the right time and died, suffered for sin. He goes on to say in verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die, suffer physically while we were yet sinners. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. And here's what was most important. Kind of what Easter's all about. Here was the most important thing. Christ died for our sins. To Paul, you know, I mean, he wrote a lot of stuff, and there's lots of great data in the Bible about lots of topics. And we talk about those topics a lot. But if you could boil it down for Paul, it was, man, here was the most important thing. Christ died because of our sin. Peter says, since Christ suffered physical pain. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Christ died for us. Peter said a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Now, now, he never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring them safely to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Beloved, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to disobey God, you got to remember what it costs to cleanse you of that sin. Just 
Not, 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 not telling you that's going to stop you from not sinning. Not, 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 I'm not here to tell you, oh, that's the thing that's going to make you say no to sin. But I'll tell you, you got to have that bullet lodged in your gun right there. Man, something's tempting you, and I don't know what it is. We all have our stuff, right? Before you, you know, pull the trigger, so to speak, and sin and, and disobey God, you ought to remember the cost to cleanse you of that sin. Death. It brought the death of the second person of the Holy Trinity. God's perfect son had to come and die to cleanse you of that, of that sin. Never forget the price tag. Number two, if you want to say no to sin, remember to always fill your mind with God's word. Think the way that Jesus thought. And I'm going to spend most of my time right here. Verse one goes on. And it says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude that he had. One version says, since Christ suffered while he was in the body, strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had. Beloved, you'll, you'll never win the battle against sin if you don't have the same attitude that Jesus had. You'll never win the battle of sin if you, if you don't learn to think the way that Jesus thought. Yes, you have to remember the cost. That's a part of it. You, you, I mean, there, there was a real cost. Jesus was really the Son of God. Really? I know some of you don't believe that, but most of us in here do. He was really the Son of God. He really came and lived a perfect life. And it really cost him his life. He really suffered for you. You remember that. But you also then have to move beyond that and say, you know what, I need to learn to have the same attitude that Jesus had. I need to think the way that, that Jesus thought. If you want to have any chance of saying no to sin, you got to think like Jesus thinks. And the only way you're ever going to think like Jesus thinks or have the same attitude that Jesus had is you got to fill your mind with, with, with his word, don't you? I mean, there are, there are some other ways, prayer and things like that, but certainly, if you want to have the same attitude that Jesus had, if you want to think like Jesus thought, which is what the word tells us we're to do, then you got to fill your mind with his word. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 2. He said, so then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and build up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And you ought to look at that word right there, continue. Maybe underline it in your Bibles or, I don't know, in your notes or, 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 or whatever. The Christian life isn't just a one-time thing. I think, I think it's become that, especially maybe in the church here in, in America, you know, we come to a men's thing and receive Christ, and that's it. Or we go to, you know, we went to a Billy Graham crusade and heard him say something, we walked forward and received Christ, and that's it. Listen to me. The Christian faith is more than just some one-time moment in your life. 
Christian life's a journey. It's a journey that we're to continue in. God wants you to continue to grow in your relationship with him. God wants you to continue to learn more and more about him. God wants you to continue to walk in the light. God wants you to continue to walk in love. God wants you to continue to walk in obedience. And for some of you, it was that baptism card. Tonight, the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin in not following the Lord in the area of baptism. It wasn't a suggestion from God that you be baptized. Hey, if you feel like it, why don't you do it? He's God Almighty. He sent his son to die on a cross. It's not a suggestion that you be baptized. Well, I'm going I'm to wait and do it at a special place like the river. <laughs> You're going to wait to obey the Lord. That's really great. Think that one through, Mom, Dad. If you told your son, hey, son, I need you to go clean your room up. And he said, you know what? I'll do it. I'm just going to do it next week. That's disobedience. And when you live in disobedience, you know, wow. It just shows you're, you know, it's just, you're just immature and you don't understand the things of the Lord because you don't want to live in disobedience. But I know some of you filled that card out and put it in there. You, you sense God's spirit convicting you and you, you said, hey, I need to do this. Praise the Lord for that. God wants you to do that. He wants you to continue to walk in obedience. He wants you to continue to walk as Jesus walked. He he wants you to continue to walk in wisdom. He wants you to continue to learn to think like Jesus thinks, right? There's a difference between being a Christian and being a growing Christian or a maturing Christian or a Christian who continues to live in Christ. There's a difference. I like the way the King James words this passage. Instead of saying, continue to live in him, it says, continue to walk in him. Beloved, if you want to say no to sin, you have to continue to walk with Jesus. Because if you're not walking with Jesus, then you're walking with somebody else, and that ain't good. When you're walking with Jesus, there he is. You got that picture in your mind, you're walking with him. Wow. Do you think that'll make a difference when temptation comes? It's when you choose not to continue in him. It's when you choose not to continue to walk with him. Wow, that's when you just get all sideways and and all of that. Let me tell you something. The only way you're going to walk with Jesus is by filling your mind with the words of Jesus. And if you're wondering if this walk has a destination, it does. Romans chapter 8 says this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. The destination of your walk is to be like his Son. You'll never be his Son. Never. You'll never, I'll never get close to being like Jesus. Never. But God says that's the destination, that's the goal is that you become more and more and more like his son. You think like his son. You reason like his son. 
You react like his son. You get involved in the things that his son would have been involved in. You stay away from the things that his son would have stayed away from, you see. Let me give you a a real-life example of the power of knowing God's word, filling your mind with God's word, and how it will help you say no to sin. Matthew chapter 4 says this, and I don't think it's in your notes because, I, as I told you, the Lord was doing some things in my life this week, and so, but I think it's on the jumbotrons. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. This, is, this actually happened. This is a weighty moment. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came up to him and said, if you're the son of God, you know, if you're really the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. He's tempted to sin. But Jesus told him, no. The scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you really are the son of God, jump off. And now the devil's going to throw some scripture at him. He misquotes it, but he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt a foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, well, the scripture also says you must not test the Lord your God. The next day, verse 8 says, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, Satan said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Beloved, Jesus has just given us a real-life example of how we can say no to sin. If, he'd have, if Satan would have showed up and tempted him and he would have you know, had lightning bolts come out of his hands and fingers, boom! We'd all gone, wow, that was cool, man. But guess what? I, I, I've, I can't get lightning bolts to come out of my hands or my eyes. or I, I can't, I, I'm toast. And aren't you glad Jesus gave us a real-life example that we can all follow, didn't he? He didn't do something so wacky that we just go, man, well, man, of course he could do it. Look what he did. I mean, you know, lightning came from, no. He did the same thing that we could do. He illustrated for us one of the great ways that we can overcome sin. Look at verse Look at verse two of, of your text. Peter says, you won't spend the rest of our lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. One version said, strengthen yourselves so that while you live here on earth doing what God wants, so that you'll live here on earth doing what God wants, not the evil things that other people want you to do. And he's not talking about, you know, physical strength, or he's talking about spiritual strength. He's he's talking about growing in your walk, continuing in your walk. He's talking about thinking the way that Jesus thinks, and the only way that happens is when you fill your mind with the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. There's a place for that, but we need to go on to maturity. Everybody in here, there was a moment in my life When guess what? I I, I was learning the elementary things of of the faith. 
Some of you are there, and there's nothing wrong with being there. The problem is, is when you stay there. God wants us to move on. So let me ask you a question. Do you know what the scripture says? Do you know what the will of God is concerning the different areas of life so that when Satan comes and tempts you, you'd know what to do? When you're tempted to lie, sin, do you know what the scripture says? Well, Exodus chapter 20 says you must not tell lies about your neighbor. That's the ninth big commandment. You know what the scripture says? When you're tempted to get drunk, sin, do you know what the scripture says? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, don't get drunk with wine, which will ruin you, but be filled with the Spirit. When you're tempted to use foul language, sin, do you know what the word says? Ephesians 4 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. You know, you know uh, what the scripture says when you're tempted to, to steal? That's sin. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, you must not steal. That's the eighth big commandment. When you're tempted to, you know, ream your parents, uh, you know, sin, you know what the word says? The Bible says honor your father and your mother. When you're tempted to have an affair, sin, do you know what the scripture say, says? Exodus chapter 20 says you must not commit adultery. I think one of the reasons why a lot of people sin is they're just ignorant. They, they, they don't really know sometimes. But Jesus in Matthew chapter four gave us a wonderful illustration. When you're tempted, you just need to know, or one of the things you need to know is, what does the word of God say? What does it say? Look, when you're tempted to sin, you just gotta just take a second and just go, you know what? If I do this, it cost Jesus his life to forgive me of this sin. And then you just need to make sure that your mind is filled with the, with the scripture so that you can say, you know what? I know that right now I just want to cuss and swear and just ream somebody right now, but I know the Bible says don't let any unwholesome thing proceed from my mouth. I know that's what the scripture says. Number three, if you want to say no to sin, remember how you used to live and the consequences of that life. Look at verse three. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the world of wild and destructive things, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Beloved, one of the things I think that helps in overcoming sin or one of the things that will help you say no to sin is when you remember how you used to live and the horrible consequences that came with that life. This past week, I spent some time thinking about my life before I gave it to Christ. And if you're visiting with us, I, I was out of high school when I didn't know the Lord. 
until I, I got out of high school. And I was kind of just thinking about it. I was just filled with drugs and, and alcohol. And I'm, I was glad that the Lord had given me a memory to, to remember that, to remember those times, to remember all of the, the crummy things I was involved in. Oh, I was so deceived. Let me tell you how, how good Satan is. He's so good at what he does. He, he's got me in bondage, you know, to just debauchery. I'm in bondage. I, I'm, I'm kneeling at the bottle of Jack Daniels. Yes, Jack. Yes, Jim Beam, you know. Yes, Master. I'm in bondage but I think I'm free. Thought I was free. That's how good the enemy is. Some of you are here and you're in bondage and you don't even know it. You think you're free. Uh, man, my life was just filled with lust and anger and greed and selfishness. My, my, my life was filled with self. That was the word that came to me. I just... It was just self. My life was just filled with sin. And the Bible says this. The Bible says the Lord forgives people of evil. He does. He forgives people for sin. He, he forgives people for turning against him. But, but he doesn't forget to punish guilty people. And I want you to know I was one of those guilty people. You see, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sins, to forgive me of my sins. But because I didn't believe in him, I was still dead in my sins. Which meant I was guilty before God, which meant God's punishment was still upon my life. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, surely you know that people who do wrong will not inherit God's kingdom. Well, I just believe God lets everybody into heaven. Well, it says right here in the scripture that not everybody's going to get in to the kingdom. And then he begins to list some things. And what's going to happen in this audience is you're going to zero in on one of the things. One. I'm going to read the list. But God doesn't put any weight on any one of those things more than another. He says, don't be fooled, those who sin sexually, worship idols, take part in adultery, those who are male prostitutes or men who have sexual relationships with other men, those who steal, are greedy, get drunk, lie about others, rob. These people will not inherit God's kingdom. And by the way, that's not a comprehensive list of all the things that will keep you out of heaven. I was almost all of them. But make no mistake about it, there was a time in my life, there was a time in every one of your lives when the kingdom of God was not in your future. You were away from God, your sin had separated you from him. You stood guilty before God. If I'd have taken my last breath here on planet Earth, I would have spent my eternity apart from God. And when I thought about that this week, that was pretty sobering to me. 
I think it's one of the reasons why God allows us to remember that. He doesn't want us to ever forget where we were headed, where our eternity was going to be spent. And I'll tell you, before you pull the trigger on sin, you ought to say, man, you know what? This, this Jesus Christ suffered horribly for what I'm about ready to do. You ought to know what the scripture says. And you ought to think back to that crummy life you used to live. Where you were going to spend your eternity. I think those things matter. Number four, if you want to say no to sin, you got to remember to stay close to other believers. Your church family is important, okay? Verse 8 and 9 says, Most uh, important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. You know, place to stay. Beloved, when God made Adam and put him in the garden, he said, man, it's not good for man to be alone. And that was a perfect environment, wasn't it? Think about it. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone even though the environment that he was in was absolutely perfect. Well, do you think God has changed his mind about this now that there's sin in the world? No. We need people in our lives, spouses, right, friends, you know, whoever. God never meant for you to be a, a lone ranger. That's why Bobby was up here talking about small groups a little bit ago. This is a big church. Big is in our name, but it's not big enough. You know why? Because there are still people out there who are dead in their sins. Uh, I don't like big churches. You show me the biggest church in the world, and I'll show you a church ain't big enough. People out there who are dead in their sins. I used to be one of them. And I'm glad that there was room here at this church for one more. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I want you to know there's room here for you. As long as I got breath and as long as I'm in charge here, this church isn't big enough. And it's not because I just want to get bigger. More people that show up here, let me, trust me, there's just more headaches. Trust me. <laughs> but I, I want you to know something. This is getting people into small groups and men's groups and all these things are so important. Being a part of a church family is important. Paul said this, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, how do you do that if you're not in you know, connection with other people? You need other people to watch out for you. You need other people to defend you. You need other people who will stand up for you. You need people who will protect you. You need people who will warn you and keep you on, on track, don't you? Just looking at my, my friend John Byron back here. He's one of our pastors. Most of you know him. You know, we don't do this a lot, but man, there was a moment he walked into my office and sat down and, and he was thinking of my interests. 
And he said to me, you know, Rick, you're, you're, you're doing this in a meeting. Not, not evil in what I was doing. And they said, maybe you ought to, isn't this important to you? Yeah. Don't we need that? I need it. You need it. The, the Bible says, hey, look, you got to look out for each other. And by the way, other people need you to watch out for them and defend them. This church isn't about me trying to, you know, and all the pastors watching out for you. It's about we're watching out for each other. We're defending each other. We're standing up for each other. We're protecting each other. We need each other. Have you ever driven through a neighborhood and seen one of those neighborhood watch signs? Do you know what that, that sign's saying? That's a sign of community. It says to those that come into that neighborhood, warning, we're watching out for each other. We take care of each other in this neighborhood. We're a community of homeowners who've made a commitment to care about each other. We're concerned about others' interests in this neighborhood, not just our own. And I think in a weird way, that's exactly what God wants the church to be. He wants us to be a neighborhood watch group. But instead of watching over your house, he wants us to watch over each other. Is there anybody here that's helping you out on your spiritual journey? Do you have somebody watching over you? Is there anybody helping you to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Is there anybody helping you through those tough, discouraging times that come into your life? Is there anybody helping you to keep you going when you feel like giving up? Is there anybody out there helping you when you're tempted to sin and you want to say no? There you are, and you know that, man, that cost Jesus' life. You know that the Bible says that you shouldn't have, you know, an affair or you shouldn't steal. You know that. You know that God spared you from hell. But you're still tempted. You got somebody in your life you can call and say, man, I'm just about ready to do something really stupid that can mess up my own life, my family's life, my kid's life, my business. I mean, I've done this a long time, and I've seen how one, one time, one person couldn't say no, and it messed up everything. Everything. Sin is a powerful thing in our life. Look, if you don't have anybody, I want you to know you're in trouble. You need people who will watch out for you, who will love you, who will help you continue in your walk with the Lord. And guess what? You need to be helping somebody else. The writer of Hebrews says, keep on loving each other as brothers, as sisters. Christians ought to take care of Christians. People in the church ought to take care of other people in the church. And we need to be vigilant about it. You just don't do it once. You keep on doing it. Look, since 9-11, we've had to be more vigilant as a country, haven't we, about terrorists. But did you know that we've got a greater enemy than terrorists? You do. You've got a greater enemy than some terrorists. It's Satan and the demons. They're real he hates your guts. He wants to defeat you. He wants to mess up your life. He wants to hurt you. He wants to harm you. He wants to make you totally effective, ineffective. He, he, he wants to waste your time. He wants to get you off track. 
Every morning before you wake up, he's planning on how to get you to waste your day, to get you angry, to get you impatient, to get you lustful, to get you worried, to get you fearful, to get you depressed. And here's the scary thing. He's really good at it. You see, Satan wants to hurt God. Listen to me. He wants to hurt God. Get this. But he can't hurt God. So you know what he does? He goes after the next best thing his children. You see, he wants to stick it to God, but he can't stick it to God because he's God. And so what does he do? He goes after his children. Some of you have no clue as to how important the church family is. This neighborhood watch group, if you will. Where we're not watching over our, you know, our stuff in our garage or our, you know, flat screen TVs or whatever else they might steal, but we're watching over each other's souls. You want to say no to sin. Let me tell you something. Being a part of a church family is, 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 is critical. Ecclesiastes says this, two people are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man or pity the woman who falls and has no one to help him up. Pity the person who, who claims to know Christ and when is tempted, just doesn't have anybody. Remember what sin did to Jesus. It cost him his life. Remember to always fill your mind with God's word. Think like Jesus thinks. Remember how you used to live and the consequences that that life broad, and remember to stay close to other believers. Your church family is important. Beloved, I, I believe that if you remember these four things, put them into practice, you'll experience more and more victory in your life over sin. But I also know that it won't guarantee it. I know that. We as a church know that. We, we, we understand that you can do all these four things and you know a thousand other things, and we, we know the power of sin. We get it. Inside your program, I want you to pull out that little, that little thing. It looks like this. It says, welcome, celebrate recovery. Some of you need to get involved and connect in something that's going to take you a little bit deeper. By the way, celebrate recovery is a place where you're going to remember what it cost to cleanse you of your sin. Celebrate recovery is a place where your mind will be filled with God's word. Celebrate recovery is a place where you're going to be reminded of that crappy life you used to live and the consequences of it. Celebrate recovery is one of those places where you get to be with other believers that are maybe struggling with some of the same things that you are. For some of you, you need to take advantage of this and come down here on Tuesday. 6.30 right here, there's, I don't know, four or 500 people in here. It's not like there's two guys sitting in here. And, and, and the 500 that are in here, you know what? There's already been 500 others that have already been through it, or maybe 1,000 others. Many of our pastors have been through it, our elders. We, we get it. We, we understand it. But just because you know Christ doesn't mean it's all over with. And this is a place where you are put in touch with God at a, at a way, another level. Now, I want to end with this thought. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 8, Christian, that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. The point of this message wasn't to poke anybody in the eye and say, man, if you're sinning, you know, Christian, you know, <laughs> loser. No. That wasn't the point of the message. And I, I, I don't think that 
you got that. I, I, but I want to make sure that you understand something. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you do say yes to sin, and it happens to all of us, look at The Bible's crystal clear. There's no condemnation. None. If you know Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. Now, it's not an excuse to just go sit. But I want you to know there's no condemnation. I love what our brother John said. He said, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. God doesn't want us to sin. But (laughs) if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. Listen to me, Christian. When you blow it and you're going to, you remember that Jesus Christ doesn't condemn you. He's at the right hand of the Father right now and he's hoop, hoop, and hollering for you. You're on his mind and he's always talking to the Father about you. But I hope that somehow as we went through this message, you went, wow. Maybe there are some things I can do to really get a handle on on sin. Why Why don't you stand up right now, okay? And I just want you to close your eyes as Pastor Scott comes. Maybe, maybe while your eyes are closed, maybe somebody needs to head into the altar room and just say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm having a hard time saying no to sin right now. Maybe you head into the altar room and say, you know what, I'm getting really, really close and I haven't told anybody about it. I need to tell you, my brother, my sister, how close I am to really doing something stupid. Let us pray for you. Maybe there's something else going on in your life. You have a health need or something. That's a place where the spiritual leaders are to pray for you. Take advantage of it, okay? Scott, why don't you pray?